I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. We're back again with another episode of Ridiculous Romance. Hope y'all have been having a good New Year so far. Mm-hmm. It's only a couple more days where that's worth saying. You yeah, know, it's true. To get into late January, it's like, yeah, 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 it's the New Year. Shut up. We Let's know go. it's new. <laughs> it ain't new anymore. <laughs> And y'all may have seen on our Instagram account, we did something kind of cool the other day. Oh, my God. It was so cool. For Christmas, Diana got me the best present. She's a, <laughs> she's an excellent gift giver. And she came up with uh, an event, which, of course, I am an experienced person. I got too much stuff. I don't like things. Mm-hmm. I don't need clutter. I, I don't really need any more gadgets. It's true. Um, Diana knows that I love doing stuff. Yeah. And so she got us an hour with a bunch of raptors, birds of prey. And I I will say, when I opened the card and it said (laughs) raptor experience, that for a brief second, I thought it was one of those like cheesy fiberglass dinosaur amusement parks, (laughs) which I was also super into. Well, now I want to find one of those. (laughs) But on learning that it was actually a raptor experience, like the birds, oh, it was amazing. So it was called Georgia Mountain Falconry. And we drove up to Dahlonega and spent an hour with them in the Chattahoochee National Forest mm-hmm. with these birds. It was incredible. Yeah, they had they had three different owls and I think three or four different falcons uh-huh. and then a couple hawks. Yes. And we got to like meet all of them and yeah. pet some of them. They did say some of them did some bite. Some of them would bite they your like, face off. They would off. bite yeah. the hell out of you, yeah. so do not touch this one. Yeah. But some of them were more friendly than others, and yeah. so you were able to actually pet their wings mm-hmm. and stuff like that and look at their f- crazy feet. Their feet insane were insane. Because you've got these talons, of course. That go on forever. Some of them, like the Eurasian eagle owl, had feathers coming all the way down its feet, mm-hmm. right? All the way to its claws, so it had these like furry-looking feet. And they were cool. huge. So big. that That's one of the biggest owls in the world. Uh-huh. Um, cool and, orange uh, eyes, too. Very orange. Such a cool experience. Highly recommend it. Yeah, if you're in it. Georgia, look it up. Yeah. GeorgiaMountainFalconry.com. It's, it was very easy to arrange, and they were super cool and knowledgeable, and it was awesome. So, yep. yeah, do it. Yes. But today, we're on the hunt for something else, an exciting story 
about romance and history. (laughs) (laughs) And and we've got one here. But first, I think that we need to check the mailbag because it is overflowing. We got to get some of these on the air. So true. So I think it's time for a mail call. Awesome. Yeah, since we're going back to ancient Egypt today, we wanted to share this message from Instagram from Angie C., um, who reached out about our Pharaoh Amenhotep and Queen Tiye episode. She said that she particularly liked our jokes about being a student of The Mummy, the oh, movie, which is, can't uh, say enough nice things about The Mummy. Such an experience, so both true. educational and entertaining. <laughs> I've learned everything I know I learned from The Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> and she said... I'd like to think that perhaps while they did marry their daughters, it wasn't always to further their seed, quote unquote, but to give their daughters a life and protection. Just wishful thinking here. Similar to how Italian dads would put their daughters in nunneries, which were essentially boutique hotels for them to live how they wish. Mm. Evidently, that was way cheaper than paying a dowry to a dude she didn't even like anyway. Oh, there you go. This is a really good point from Angie, and that's so true. Some of the pharaohs that married their own daughters, obviously, we would... We are very grossed out by that idea. And sometimes they did have a sexual relationship and have children with them Mm -hmm. because they were all about bloodlines and stuff. But um, some of them did actually marry their daughters just to give them a place in society. They didn't really have any kind of – they didn't get elevated to great principal wives Uh who had the children and stuff. They were just kind of like, hey, I got – what whatever Ramsey's had like a billion children, so he's probably like, <laughs> I gotta marry some of these ladies. <laughs> There's not enough dudes to go around, right? Um, and probably and I, so that also to take them off the table for 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 uh, alliances down the line. Ooh, true. You know, like no, I don't want to uh, to ally with you. And sorry, I don't have any daughters anyway. I already married them myself. <laughs> Sex to be you. <laughs> and they also the women were not allowed to marry below them. But there were right. often no one above them because right. they're literally the pharaoh's daughters. So it's kind of like, Ugh, where are you supposed to go? Uh, uh, so that's I'm going to really have to point. marry dad. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she also said, quote, may I note that Rachel Weiss's character in The Mummy is literally my hero. I often yell, take that, Bembridge scholars, when I've achieved a goal. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, Angie. That is a common saying. I love it. I hope that we can work (laughs) it into this episode at some point. Uh, (laughs) But thank you for your note, Angie. This is awesome. And again, a very good point about ancient Egypt. So let's not put sex on everything. (laughs) We we try. (laughs) But that was then. This is now. And this is another ancient Egypt story about Ramses II and his queen Nefertari. And Ramses married Nefertari before he ascended to the throne of Egypt in 1279 BC. But even though he had 200 wives and concubines and over a hundred children, his favorite wife and the love of his life was Nefertari. So let's hear about Ramses II, his smart and beautiful queen, and life in ancient Egypt. I'm ready. Let's go. Hey there, friends. Come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Ramses II is considered to be one of the greatest pharaohs in Egyptian history. Okay. Um, he was the third pharaoh of the 19th dynasty. His reign was super long. He brought like an unprecedented peace to the region. And he built tons of temples and buildings that still stand today. And See, you know, infrastructure. You invest in that and you're a great leader. Infrastructure, people. Thank you. Talking about art, uh-huh. achievement, and architecture. Yes. That's what makes a great civilization. Take a note. Have none of you studied history, <laughs> leaders of the world? Come on. I don't think they have. No, they really haven't. They really have not. Military history. That's all they look at. Business. And that's it. <laughs> Some of Ramsey's most impressive monuments were built as a tribute to his wife, Queen Nefertari. Aww. And she was known as the most beautiful queen on earth in ancient Egypt's time. She was also very fashionable and famous for her artistic accessories and makeup. She would have had a really amazing TikTok probably uh-huh. uh, if and she was around today. Her, her own lingerie line. Oh, definitely. You know, she yeah. Said, she'd have a Savage Fenty sort oh, yeah, of thing going on. Oh, yeah, she'd be getting into on. that. For sure. And she would definitely do that outfit of the day thing where you jump up and then you change. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. 
This is all, of course, speculation station because not much is known about Nefertari's early life, especially. Most scholars agree that she and Ramses probably married before he began to rule Egypt, likely around when he was 15 and she was 12. Now, she's thought to be an Egyptian noblewoman because she was highly educated. She could read and write hieroglyphics, which was a rare skill at the time. And, and today. today. Yes. <laughs> uh, back then, it was usually reserved for priests and the pharaoh himself. It was like a little secret code they had. Mm-hmm. Most regular, everyday ancient Egyptians understood a hieroglyph about as well as any of us do, right? They were just like, I don't know, stork, a bird feather, bowl. Two bowls. I think this is like a snake or something. Maybe it's a staff. staff. Whatever. Maybe these are waves. I don't know. Right. (laughs) At home, they used a different type of cursive script for everyday writing, and hieroglyphs were reserved for religious and government records. That was something I didn't know. I thought hieroglyphs was how everybody talked. Right. And it was like emojis or something. Like it was easier because it was pictures, you know? Yeah. And like today we're like, well, we don't know what the picture means. Yeah. You know, but they did. Surely they all were just walking around <laughs> stamping crows on everything. <laughs> but no, they actually had like a like a longhand cursive. I, right. d- I really didn't know that. I thought that was cool. You like pass a note in class. <laughs> it's like, do you like me? Check wave of grain or seagull. (laughs) Bird looking to the right, bird looking to the left. (laughs) Now, a smart queen would have come in handy to a young king like Ramses. He was named successor at only 14 years old, and then he came to power when he was just 24 in 1279 BC. His father and predecessor, Seti I, had been a great ruler. He managed to capture the Syrian town of Kadesh and the neighboring territory of Amuru from the Hittite Empire. Mm -hmm. Now, Egypt hadn't held Kadesh since Pharaoh Akhenaten's time, which was something like over 50 years had gone by before they had had this territory. Mm -hmm. And the reason Akhenaten lost it was because he was so focused on getting Egypt into monotheism that he just kind of didn't care about holding on to territories and expanding things. He was really singularly focused Mm -hmm. on a single god. (laughs) one-issue Pharaoh. Yeah, a one-issue Pharaoh. Yeah. So this was a really big deal. And when Seti I entered the city in triumph, his successor, Ramses II, was right beside him. Mm. However, the problem with Kadesh and Amuru was that they were basically on the very edge of the boundaries for both of these empires. It was like way to the south for the Hittites and way to the north for the Egyptians. Mm. So for each, it's kind of a hard area to hold. Right. Um. They would go back and forth, but they never really stayed. <laughs> yeah. It was neither close to either of them, and yet they were both Want close it. to both of them. Yeah, so, yeah. So very grabby game of these cities trying to keep them. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. Yeah. No, it's mine. It's hungry hippos of, <laughs> of ancient Egypt. <laughs> Where they did have hungry, hungry hippos. They did have, actually, hungry, hungry hippos there. <laughs> and so this time when Seti One managed to beat back the Hittites, they entered the city. They were like, yes, it's ours. They put up a victory stella, you know, explaining how great they did. And then they kind of couldn't hold it. They could not. They couldn't uh, keep it up. Keep it up. Yeah. yeah. They had they couldn't maintain a military occupation of this mm-hmm. place. They kind of had to turn around and go back home. Mm-hmm. Both cities, both territories reverted to Hittite control. They couldn't maintain control. They were like, look, Kadesh, I swear this has never happened before. <laughs> we usually maintain control for hours. Kadesh is like, Egyptians and Hittites all the same. <laughs> Only last a few minutes and then they leave. It's a wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> All right, uh, let's try and geographically make some sense of this ancient world. Let's get ourselves on the map. We're going to get to their romance, but first some history. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of overly simplistic, but for our purposes, this will do well enough. You've got the Hittites living where about where Turkey is now. Canaan and the Levant were about where Israel and Palestine are now. Syria encompassed modern-day Syria, as well as Lebanon and Jordan, and Nubia was roughly where Sudan is now. So when Ramses took over, he distinguished himself in battle against the Sheridan Sea Pirates in his second year, and they were attacking important trading vessels in the Nile Delta and the Mediterranean Sea, and just wreaking all kinds of havoc. So Ramses, who was very savvy, went in and stationed ships and troops at strategic points, and then he just waited for the Sheridan Sea Pirates to attack. 
And when they took the bait, he surprised them with this epic sea battle and took every single Sheridan ship in a single action. Just swept the risk board. These are mine now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was like it was nothing. Pretty good way to kick off his regency. Right? Also, pirates. Wherever you are in history, there's a pirate there. There's always pirates. You get on the open sea with a navy, and eventually somebody says, "Eh, screw your navy. You know what? I got a ship. I'm going to do it my way. Rules of my own. Thank you very much. Yar. You know what? I like saying yar. I like a parrot, too. You know? Yeah. The navy never lets us have our own parrots. Bullshit. (laughs) He also dealt with some Nubian revolts in the south. He recaptured Canaan and Amuru. But Ramses really had his mind on Syria because he had never forgotten his triumphant ride into Kadesh with his father. And he not only wanted the territory back, but he wanted to have a more decisive victory and bring Kadesh back into Egyptian control for good. It would have been like a nice feather in his cap. Yeah. So he got to work on his new capital, Pi Ramses which he put on the bank of the Nile Delta, where Seti I had had a summer palace. But Ramses expanded it into one of the most populous ancient Egyptian cities, with an estimated 300,000 people living there. And it flourished for over a century after his death, and he used it as a base of operations for his multiple campaigns into Syria. He also built up his army and his weapons, of course. During his reign, the Egyptian army is estimated to have totaled around 100,000 men, mm. including some of those Sheridan Sea Pirates that he defeated. At Pi Ramses, he had factories built to manufacture weapons, chariots, and shields. Supposedly, he produced 1,000 weapons a week, 250 chariots in two weeks, and 1,000 shields in a week and a half. Ugh. That's a lot. Then, in his fifth reignal year, he led his army into the most famous battle of his career, the Battle of Kadesh. Funnily enough, we know about this battle because of a giant carving depicting what seems to be a pretty decisive Egyptian victory. Sure, I would carve something if I had a decisive victory like that. But we've discovered that that was mostly propaganda on Ramses' part. (laughs) Uh, The truth is more complicated, as usual. So Ramses brought his army in. He camped out. He's kind of waiting for an attack from the Hittites. And he'd been told that they were far away, but that was bad intelligence. So they got ambushed. And Ramses was separated from his army, and he had to fight single-handedly to get back to them. And he nearly died in the attempt. Fortunately, reinforcements arrived. They beat back the Hittites, forced them to abandon their heavily armored chariots, and swim the river Orontes to shelter safely behind their city walls. Hooray for Ramses! Yay, way to go, Ramses! Except Ramses didn't actually take the city. Unable to maintain a long siege against the Hittites, who were now safely sequestered behind their city walls, Ramses just kind of had to go home. So while Ramses went back and proclaimed his great victory at home in Egypt, the Hittites were also claiming victory. And I mean, with pretty good reason, too, since they still had the city Egypt was claiming to have taken. I mean, for real. I'd be like, right? we stole this from the Hittites. And the Hittites were like, did you? Because we still, I still got have it. it. I mean, I'm hand. looking at it. <laughs> so buoyed by their success and goaded on by the Hittites, the Canaanites started a revolt against Egypt as well, thinking they might be able to win their independence. Yeah. And for the Hittites, of course, they, they want to destabilize Egypt. So they're like, yeah, go bother him because then he won't be able to bother us. So anyway, Ramses had rumbles for a few years, but often they kind of had the same outcome for both the Egyptian and the Hittite empires. Kind of empty victories, you know? They may have managed to beat back the enemy, but they didn't really regain or win any territory. They didn't hold anything. They never decisively defeated anyone. Mm. So that went on for a while. And then eventually, for about eight years, they sort of had a cold war going where they weren't doing any outright fighting, but they were still kind of like, but this is mine. No, this is mine, you know. Now, Ramses was a pretty good military campaigner, but he was also a very diplomatic person. And it seems that he realized there was no winning this war. So in the 21st year of his reign, he did something truly unique. He negotiated the earliest known peace treaty with the Hittite king, Hattusili III. And we'll find out all about that right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now right rug flooring welcome back to the show everyone so the hittites were having their own issues during all these clashes with egypt Hattusili's brother had been king, and Hattusili was given control of all the northern territories, basically making him the king of the north! The king of the north! The The king king of the the north! North! When his brother died, his nephew, Uri Teshub, had become king. But this was controversial because Uri Teshub was born to one of the deceased king's concubines, not his wife. So that made him like a second-rank son. They usually didn't inherit any power. But Hattusili supported his nephew anyway because that was his brother's wish for Uri to rule. So, yeah, he's a supportive uncle. Until, of course, Uri Teshub stripped Hattusili of all his power and land, thinking he's a threat to him. After I said I supported you. All I've done for you, this is how you treat me. (laughs) This is how you repay me. (laughs) So, yeah, after that, Hattusili was like, all right, nephew, all bets are off Uh now. And he wrote in a well-known text that he had submitted to Uri Teshub for seven years with no complaint until this happened. And now, quote, I made war against him, but I committed no crime in doing so by rising up against him with chariots or in the palace. In civilized manner, I communicated thus with him. You have begun hostilities with me. Now you are a great king, but I am king of only one fortress. That is all you have left me. Come, Ishtar of Samuha and the storm god of Narek shall decide the case for us. Since I wrote to Uri Teshub in this manner, if anyone now says, why, after previously making him king, do you now write to him about war? My reply would be, if he had not begun fighting with me, would Ishtar and the storm god have now subjected him to a small king? Because he began fighting with me, the gods have subjected him to me by their judgment. (laughs) I love it. It's basically part, don't start no shit, it won't be no right, shit. Right, right. And partly like, 
um, the gods clearly don't mind what I'm doing. They're working through me to punish you for what you did, purely coincidentally to me. (laughs) I'm just doing the gods' will. It just happens to line up perfectly with my own will. (laughs) Not total accident. It's like slapping him in the face uh-huh. and being like, sorry, that was God working through me. Right. I, I didn't, I, I have no control. If God didn't want it to happen, he wouldn't, he would, he would have stayed stopped my me. hand. Yeah. Something would have stopped me, but this is God's will. So, I mean, it's pretty convenient <laughs> if you can make God's will always line up super well with your own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very kind helpful. Of, kind of people been doing that for a long time, I think. <laughs> I was also going to say that you said he wrote in a well-known text, and my immediate thought was that he texted someone. Oh. And I was like, wait, no. (laughs) That's not right. Yeah, he sent over a long text. Yeah. A lot of punctuation in it, you know, to show how (laughs) how mad he was. A couple emojis, angry (laughs) face. So Hattusili was able to depose Uri Teshub, his nephew, Mm -hmm. and banished him. Thereby, he took power, but he had some of his own problems. People were questioning his legitimacy to the throne since he wasn't a descendant of the former king, only a brother. Right. Plus, Uri Teshub fled to Egypt, the land of their enemy. Ooh, diplomatic incident. Oh, yeah. So Hattusili wrote to ask, send him a text to Ramses <laughs> to ask him to extradite his nephew back to the Hittites. But Ramses said he wrote back, you know, he just left it on scene for a while, <gasps> basically. He left him on red. <laughs> he was like... You know, I don't know anything about it. This almost caused an outright war. If Ramses II decided to shield Uri Teshub, he could lay low in Egypt for a while, build up his forces, and march on Hattusili, maybe even with the young pharaoh at his back. Hattusili needed to get his footing as king stable right away, Mm -hmm. and he needed to eliminate Uri Teshub as a threat. So scholars believe that Hattusili approached Ramses about an alliance if Ramses negotiated with him, it basically meant he saw Hetusili as the true ruler of the Hittites. Mm. So that would legitimize him on the international stage and neutralize an enemy at the same time. Pretty smart. Pretty smart. Yeah. yeah. And we still do this. If there's a coup in another country, it's really important that they call other countries and be like, now talk to me. Yeah. And if, you know, the countries now. have to decide which government is more stable yeah. Yeah. and sort of throw their weight behind right. one or the other. And that's kind of how they get their footing. So this is a common thing, even 3,000 years later, right. however many. And yeah, scholars say that Ramses also realized that he needed a different solution for these territories mm. because, again, no Egyptian pharaoh has been able to occupy them for long against the Hittites. Right. And it's expensive to keep waging war over territory that you can't really hold on to or get anything out of. You know what I mean? So they're like constantly throwing money at this issue and not getting anywhere. And he's like, "Mm, if we stop fighting, you know, if we stop tussling over our hungry hippos area, (laughs) I can turn my attention to my passion project, having temples, monuments and cities erected that proclaim my greatness to the world. (laughs) Not to mention the Assyrians, which is mostly where modern day Iraq is today. They were building up kind of a formidable force. They looked like they might be interested in expanding into Syria Uh, So they were going to be maybe a future problem for Egypt. Right. And if Egypt had an alliance with the Hittites, they would have backup against the Assyrians since both empires had territory in Syria that they'd want to keep, keep, right? So you'd be like, hmm, maybe we could get your spears pointing in the same people. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Pointing in the same people, yes. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, (laughs) if you're doing it right. (laughs) But there's no denying one of the sexiest selling points was that the Hittites had approached Egypt asking for an end to the war. So Ramses could sell even a diplomatic solution as a sound defeat of the Hittites and a triumphant end to the war. Wow. So in the 21st year of his reign, 15 years after the Battle of Kadesh, Ramses II and Hattusili III negotiated the world's earliest known peace treaty. They both agreed to cease hostilities, recognize each other's territories in Syria, join one another in battle against Assyria if that should come up, and the Hittites granted Egyptians access to ports in the north for commerce. Both versions of the treaty exist. They each wrote one, the other Mm -hmm. signed it, and they both exist today. One of them written in Egyptian hieroglyphs and one written in Hittite cuneiform script. Since they each wrote the terms of the treaty themselves, there's kind of a hilarious divergence between the language in either one. 
Ramses said, Wahatusili, he showed up just begging for an end to this war. Please, I gotta stop. I, I'm barely holding on here. He you know, came crawling, came crawling in, in here. And I was gracious enough <laughs> to say yes, of course. But Hatusili's version says, Oh, Ramses, that guy just can't keep it together. And he's such a mess. <laughs> he came to me and he said, Please, please, Hatusili. I just gotta stop this war. Will you just, will you, will you end it, please? I'll, I'll do anything. I'll kiss your feet. The Egyptians are nothing compared to the Hittites. It's true. You're so powerful. <laughs> so, you know, they, they both just needed to save face when they got home. They both needed to look like their idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't care what the other ones said. Uh, like, I don't care what your people think of me. I just need my people to think I look good. Which makes sense. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, their subjects are rarely going to know what another empire is saying you right. know they're not going to know any of that shit. right and asking for a ceasefire on either end might have looked a little weak so they both had to make the other guy yeah look like he did it which is funny i think in a way because it seems to us that the big accomplishment was this peace treaty right. like that's really cool to come up with an alliance instead right. of like we're just going to keep violently murdering each other until one of us gives up um, or is all dead. Um, it was pretty cool that they came up with a different solution yeah. to that. But at the time, it was not cool. No, that <laughs> so was so So they new. had to be like, oh, we did something violent anyway. <laughs> but today we're like, oh, awesome, diplomatic solution. Like, come home and be like, I kicked his ass so hard that he asked me to stop. So I was very <laughs> graciously, I said that I would. And we wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> but what about the romance? Ugh. Okay, we're we're all in this these battles and peace treaties and shit. True. Where's Nefertari in all this? Well, she was doing her part too. Don't okay. you worry, because okay. her ability to read and write hieroglyphs meant she could help with diplomatic duties. Oh. So she was actually a pretty prominent member of the court, and letters survived between her and King Hattusili, oh, as shit. well as his wife Puduhepa. Oh, okay. I'm gonna pull into speculation station. Yeah, please do. Puduhepa was apparently also a very highly educated queen. She was very cherished by Hattusili for her intelligence, oh, okay. kind of like okay. Nefertari. So I wonder if there was actual liking, you know, mutual respect between these oh, two sure, women. Yeah. And it wasn't just a diplomatic thing that uh-huh. she reached out. Uh-huh. Like, if they ever met, I wonder if their eyes met and they were like, oh, you're cool. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm cool. Uh-huh. Oh, we're cool. And they, you know... They I shared each other's TikToks. I think of like, uh, <laughs> I think of like um, Clementine Churchill and Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. They kind of had a, their own little thing going on, which may have helped end the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their little friendship. Which you have to wonder, you know, again, it's ancient world, so we don't have as much as we'd like. Yeah. Um, of course, Egyptologists are like, why isn't everything still here? <laughs> yeah. But I wonder that, you know, how much the queens were whispering into. Yeah. You know, their pharaoh's ears like, hey, what the fuck's going on with Kadesh again? Like, why do we care? What's going on? Can Is there anything? What about if da-da-da? Like, you know, there's I'm so sure. many whispers that we don't know anything about. I'm certain that they were strong influences because as soon as we start having more records of what women in history were doing, uh-huh. we start to see the influence that they had. As soon as they started writing it down, mm-hmm. they were talking about how much they were influencing power and kings and... And, and everything like that. So, of of course, it was happening back then, too. Yeah. I, I'm certain of it. Yeah. I will also pull into Speculation Station here. I got a whole separate train I'm worried about. Uh-oh. You know, you've got Ramses and Hattusili. You've got Nefertari and Puduhepa. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all smart. They're all a lot better than anyone else mm-hmm. in their territory. They probably don't have a lot of friends that can keep up with them. <laughs> they're meeting up. They're getting along. Maybe one thing leads to another. Oh my god. Maybe goodness. you know they just uh, maybe they maybe they throw down a little bit. I think there's a Pharaoh's wife swap? A uh, Pharaoh's foursome maybe. Pharaoh foursome <laughs> with a PH. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not? You know, they already were totally into polygamy, so I'm saying it happened. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, yeah, she also did send gifts to Pujihepa, uh-huh. um, much like we do today, empires back and forth, or maybe it was because of the foursome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she wrote to her, quote, the great queen Nefertari of the land of Egypt speaks thus, speak to my sister Pujihepa, the great queen of the Hatti land. I, your sister, also be well. May your country be well. And she goes on to tell her she's sending her some gifts, quote, 
in order to greet you, my sister, for your neck a necklace of pure gold, composed of twelve bands and weighing eighty-eight shekels, colored linen maklalu material for one royal dress for the king, a total of twelve linen garments. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she wrote, P.S. Send pics of you in garments. (gasps) Oh, shit! (laughs) (laughs) I just want to see how they look. Papyrus scrolls or it didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) I was winking hieroglyph, winking hieroglyph. Uh, What was it? Eggplant. Yeah. (laughs) Three water droplets. (laughs) Um, I was struck by how she listed out all the gifts, which Uh must have been something normal to do because you had to send them so far. Oh, yeah. Like somebody's going to steal this. Make sure you you know there's 12. (laughs) Count that shit right now. It weighs 88 shekels. (laughs) She's like, bring me the scale. Weigh it. Oh, this says 68. Who stole one of my bands? Oh, and of course. In the time-honored tradition of maintaining alliances and empires everywhere, all through history, Ramses II did also marry a daughter of Hattusili. Ah, uh, a you know, bonus romance. One of his 200 wives and concubines <laughs> was all one of those daughters. Yes. So great job <laughs> to Hattusili for keeping one of his daughters available for that. Now, with the Hittites no longer a problem, Ramses could concentrate his military exploits on maintaining control in Nubia. And this was important because Nubia is where the gold was, which, of course, caused all kinds of historical problems for the Nubians. Yep. I'm so sorry for anyone whose land was on a lot of gold. (laughs) For (laughs) real. You knew someone was going to come in and be an asshole about it. Never got to keep it for yourself. Yeah. And he was also able to concentrate his domestic policy on building the shit out of everything. Just monuments, temples, buildings, Mm -hmm. houses. Make this city bigger and prettier. His memorial temple, the Ramazeum, was started early in his reign and took two decades to complete. But ruins of it still stand today, and carvings and etchings depict his, quotes, major victory in the Battle of Kadesh, which, of course, we know not to be that major. But his most impressive project and the greatest honor bestowed on Nefertari is the enormous rock-cut temples of Abu Simbel. And we will hear all about those right after this break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. 
So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And welcome back to the show, everybody. So located near Egypt's border with Sudan, the Temple of Abu Simbel was literally cut into a mountain. And this was sort of the pharaoh going, I am God, so I can do whatever I want to yes. any part of the landscape. Can reshape the earth. Um, <laughs> and he did. Yeah. The great temple is dedicated to Ramses. And the small temple, obviously a little smaller, is dedicated to Nefertari. And in the entrance of the great temple, there are four 66-foot statues of Ramses. And then he's surrounded by smaller statues of Nefertari and some of his other wives, as well as his sons. And inside, his many accomplishments and exploits are depicted in really intricate, beautiful carvings. And then the small temple, the one dedicated to Nefertari, has 33-foot-tall statues of Ramses II, as well as Nefertari. I, you know, I'm so amazed by these stone-carved temples and mm-hmm. stories carved into walls and stuff. I'm like... The pressure to not screw up when you're carving into stone has got to be outrageous. I wonder, speculation station, I wonder how often they fucked up and were just like, I guess I'm going to change what this says now. (laughs) Like maybe even, maybe he was trying to be honest about the battle of Kadesh. And then he like chiseled a nose off the wrong way or something and was like, oh no, uh, you know what? Just say I won and it was really great. Just carve over that. I know. I'm like, do they buff it out or something? Or Or are there like draft rocks like littered about where they're like, oops, I fucked up this word. Start over. Tested. I wonder, you know, they're carving these huge statues right into the side of the mountain. Like if you go to the other side of the mountain was like, was like effort number one on there where they kind of botched it. They were like, well, got to start on another side of the mountain. Everybody pack up. (laughs) Now, this is only the second time that a pharaoh ever dedicated a temple to a queen. The first was when Akhenaten dedicated one to Nefertiti. And according to renowned archaeologist Zahi Hawass, it was the first time that a temple was constructed in the honor of a queen. Mm. The whole point, they built it for her. Yeah. Nefertiti got one that was already built. Like, you can have this temple. Very nice. No one had gotten that before. Yeah. Put my cartouche. This is also one of the few times that a pharaoh depicted his wife on the same scale as him. Mm-hmm. One of the other times was our girl, Queen T.A. and Amenhotep III. Of course, you all remember that episode. If you hadn't heard it, check it out. They've mm-hmm. got a very exciting story. What this meant was that he saw her as an equal ruler of Egypt and worthy of the greatest honors. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of Amenhotep III and Zahi Hawass... We actually have a little update about that oh, episode. Oh, okay. Um, Hawass announced just last year in 2021 that his team of archaeologists had discovered a huge city founded by Amenhotep III. Oh, cool. And it's, like, super well-preserved. They already uncovered a full bakery and, like, Ooh. a perfectly preserved skeleton and, like, a burial site and wow. stuff. Wow. So they're saying this discovery should give us a lot of new insights into, like, what the daily life of non-royal Egyptians was like. Because obviously you didn't write down uh-huh. what the workers were doing. Who cares? You know what I mean? But we we care. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, very right. much to know what it was like outside the palace. Um, so they're kind of figuring out more about how they, what their homes were, how they were laid out and how they organized their work and uh-huh. how their family life went and all kinds of stuff we're going to learn from this discovery. So that's pretty cool. That's so cool. It's funny that one of our first episodes to have an update is the ancient Egypt I know, one. right? Well, <laughs> it takes thousands of years to get updates. Some, some time. Um, okay, the scale of the statues in this temple isn't our only clue to Ramsey's feelings about Nefertari. He also gave her tons of important titles, like... Great of praises, lady of grace, great king's wife, his beloved, lady of two lands, lady of all lands. I like she got a little, she got a little promotion there. Right, yeah. <laughs> wife of the strong bull, God's wife, 
and Mistress of Upper and Lower Egypt. Uh, very, very uh, generous titles, but I will say that, like, calling her God's wife is I, more of a compliment to himself. I was going to say the same. Than her. I was like, going to say the same. Honey, I got you something wonderful. We're going to start calling you the wife of the most powerful and brilliant person on earth. What do you think? <laughs> She's like, cool, cool. Hey, hey, thanks. thanks, I guess. <laughs> Can we just use Nefertari? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he also called her sweet of love and the one for whom the sun shines. Oh, that's pretty nice. That is pretty nice. They had at least six children together, four sons and two daughters. And their first son was named Prince Regent and is depicted along with his brothers fighting with his father in several battles. And in that sort of quirky Egyptian royalty way, he did also marry two daughters and each of them became great royal wives, which... I mean, you know, maybe that's a compliment to Nefertari as well. Like, hey, you're the daughters you birthed uh, oh, those, are that's the closest some, some to good, you that I can get. Can really make something out of this one. <laughs> it's not just any old daughter. I'll marry this daughter. Right. And I and I assume that they did have children together, uh, tried at least because they were elevated to great royal wives. So right. unlike Angie's point from begin from the beginning, some were not, but I think right. they were. Okay. Gross. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nefertari died around 1255 BC, only a few years after Ramses negotiated the peace treaty with the Hittites. Mm. And he had an absolutely stunning tomb built for her in the Valley of the Queens. It's not only larger than most other queens' tombs, but the inside is covered floor to ceiling with Stunning paintings in really rich colors that have actually lasted, you know, the test of time. It's beautiful. It's very gorgeous. It's been called the Sistine Chapel of Egypt. It's really worth seeing. Please go look at pictures online. For real. There's like a whole room where the ceiling is painted blue and there are thousands of stars in it. It's amazing. It's, you know, depicts, of course, her entire journey into the afterlife uh -huh. and everything like that. But it's just beautiful. It was discovered in 1904. But all the treasures that she would have been buried with, the jewelry, the gold, the furniture, all that stuff, had all been looted sometime in antiquity. Mm, okay. It was stripped clean. Is that what the people who found it said? That's what the there, people who found there it There was said. nothing here. I know, When right? we got here, it was all, it was empty. Ed. Yeah, it was founded by a guy named Schiparelli. So he was probably like, and uh, my brand new mansion has nothing <laughs> yeah, to do with it. Yeah, that's total, totally unrelated. <laughs> uh, the only thing they left were the knees of Nefertari's mummy. Oh, you mean like the the, the robbers? The robbers. The, the original grave looters? They took everything but her knees. That's even weirder to me. It's so that weird. The, that the people who found it were like, everything was gone except these kneecaps. <laughs> like, Sorry, they, they must have taken it all. And they I guess they left the kneecaps. Like, What? But And also, like, if, if you're taking a mummy, right. why not just take the whole thing? Why would you leave the kneecaps? <laughs> I don't understand. Or maybe just leave the whole leg beneath the knee. Like, right. that means that they literally took the top and then also below the knee and left the knee. Maybe they just, like, weren't very well attached. They fell off while they were carrying her. I'm picturing Jasper and Brutus from <laughs> 101 Dalmatians, <laughs> and they're trying to carry it out, uh -huh. and it, like, busts up, and the knees fall off, and yeah. I'm like, well, just throw it in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Forget did, about those. Did you get everything? Yeah, I'm yeah, sure we got it all. Fine. Let's get out of here. <laughs> they Oopsie. get back. They kick it under a table. <laughs> yeah. They get back to Cruella, who's waiting for them for this mummy. And she's like, where are the knees? <laughs> I can't make a coat out of this. <laughs> a mummy coat, you. Gross. Gross. So, yeah, all the, all the treasures, ostensibly, are gone. But the 5,200 square feet of paintings inside have been enough of a treasure for Egypt. Yeah. Um, it's widely considered to be the height of achievement in ancient Egyptian art. And, of course, it's been a huge tourism draw. Yeah. I want to go. Oh, I'm drawn oh God, I go. to tourists <laughs> yes. myself. <laughs> um, and it was actually originally open to tourists. I mean, of course, they immediately opened it to tourists. Yeah. But, of course, that led to deterioration of the mm. paintings because it was being exposed to the air. Also, just the humidity of people's breath oh, was enough yeah. to kind of make it start to, to ruin it. So they closed it up. They did as much restoring and preserving work as they could do, and then they opened it back up again. So it is it is available to see today, 
but there are only a limited number of visitors in allowed inside, and they can only stay for 10 minutes tops. Oh, my God. So you better be concentrated. Like, if I walked in there, I'd be like, do not speak to me. I, I don't know, want you to call right? my attention to no shit. I have 10 minutes to look at this. <laughs> for 5,200 square feet of paintings. Yeah. That's a lot. And they're intricate. So if you really, I mean, if you want to, like, look at detail, you don't have time. I remember we went to the Borghese in Rome, and that's what it's got. It's full of Bernini sculptures, which is oh. my favorite artist ever and they're so incredible and you had it was a very limited number of people in there allowed at a time and you had to book it in advance and you got to spend an hour mm-hmm. um and that was enough like it i was. didn't feel rushed we it's not a huge museum there's a few incredible works of art you really get to spend time with them and i, I was worried about it going in but afterwards i was like okay no i felt like an hour was the right amount of time mm-hmm. 10 minutes ain't enough time for me to do anything I know. I feel like I'd just stand in the middle of the room and be awed for 10 minutes before I'd actually get around to looking at everything. It takes me 10 minutes to get through most doorways in a museum because I'm just like, oh, look at this. You know, I (laughs) I can't. I would be way too distracted. Yeah. I'd I'd have to come back in with a mustache and be like, hello, I'm I'm. Shmeelai Schmanks. Oh. And now I would like to tour the museum now. Mr. Schmanks, right this way. <laughs> They'd just lead me out the back door. <laughs> right this way into the draft version <laughs> yeah, right. of Nefertiti's too. <laughs> now, in the temple, Nefertari is depicted in places playing a sistra, which is like this type of percussion instrument. It sort of looks like a mini tennis racket. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of strings on the inside, there's these like flat discs that sort of rattle together when you shake it. So it can be played with a soft sound or like a jangly one. Kind of looks like a tambourine on a stick, sort of. She's also depicted playing a game called Senate. And this is one of the earliest known board games. Senate basically means passing, and it's the strategic two-player game with five pawns each where you have to get around the board by passing or capturing each other's pawns. Now, they had throw sticks that determined how many spaces you moved each turn, which was sort of like rudimentary dice. Yeah, we don't really know the rules to Senate anymore. Uh, A few Egyptologists and archaeologists have tried to work out some kind of gameplay, and you can buy it or play it online based on their rules that Mm -hmm. they came up with. Um, But just note note that no ancient Egyptians left any instructions. There wasn't a rule book. Totally making it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like everyone knows how to play Senate. Don't write it down. Uh But Eurogamer.net has a great article um, called. Why did ancient Egypt spend 3,000 years playing a game no one else liked? (laughs) And it's really worth a read. It's very well written. And the author, Christian Donlin, basically he played Senate based on the rules that the scholars had come up with. He found it to be a pretty boring game, Uh unlike another ancient board game called the Royal Game of Ur, Mm. which he says is much more fast-paced and exciting. However, it is quote, responsible for one of the first recorded instances of trash talking. Oh, shit. Captured on the wall in the tomb of Pepe Ankh at Mir, and it's self-dated to around 2300 BC. Damn, let's read it. It has alighted. Be happy, my heart, for I shall cause you to see it taken away. You speak as one weak of tongue, for passing is mine. Hear that? That is a sick burn. You better get some (laughs) aloe vera for that burn. You say you will win? Well, it is I who is the one who will win. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like pretty, pretty harsh diss there. Harsh. Yeah. And I'm not, I won't get into it, but that article really is very fascinating. Uh, Maybe we can share a link somewhere or something. But um, he talks a lot about why Senate did not get popular in the region And what in the world made it interesting (laughs) to anyone? (laughs) He's like, I do not get it. Uh, It's probably gambling. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just a heads up. (laughs) But I think it's cool to look at this, you know, these pastimes and stuff and kind of get a better idea of what people, just regular everyday people were like. Sure. And they like to win. Yeah. (laughs) Just like we do. Yep. Now, Navratari is gone at this point, but Ramses II is still alive. He's still got a lot to do. And he would stay alive for a pretty unprecedented length of time. So in Egypt, upon their 30th year of rule, pharaohs celebrated a SED festival, Mm S-E-D. And after the first one at their 30th year, they would have one every two or three years. So it's kind of like, what does the Queen of England do? A jubilee? Jubilee. Yeah, 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 totally. Most pharaohs didn't even get to their first said of 30 years of rule. But Ramses ended up celebrating either 13 or 14 of these festivals altogether. 
He lived to be about 96 years old, and he reigned for over 66 years. And he outlived many of his children. By the time he passed away, he had really bad arthritis and serious dental problems. They even think that maybe an abscess in his teeth caused an infection that might have contributed to his death. Ugh, abscesses suck. Uh, yes. I feel very bad for him. The amount of dental anxiety I have today yeah. with the amount of painkillers we have and uh -uh. stuff and, and technology, I cannot even imagine no. back in the day where they literally probably just hit you on the head with a club. I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> you better put me in a chokehold until I pass out That's if you're going to do anything to my teeth. Uh, and Ramsey's too, kind of the Betty White of his time, yeah. I guess you could say. Okay. He lived go, go to be <laughs> really, really old, much older than most of us get to be. Yes. But it was still too soon for his Oh, subjects, I see what you I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I thought maybe he had like a, a hilarious sitcom for years yeah. and a bunch of great There's witticisms. There's lots of pictures of him flicking people off. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, hilarious. He looked like a sweet old man, but he was real sassy. He was super sassy. <laughs> But yeah, Ramses II is considered the last great king of the golden age of Egypt. He brought an unprecedented peace to Egypt through his treaty with the Hittites. He expanded the empire. He built so many monuments, temples, buildings, tombs, cities, that his legacy is still echoing through generations. Nine pharaohs that succeeded Ramses II named themselves after him. Because wow. it made him look good, probably. Sure. And there are tons of references to him in popular culture. One of the most well-known is a poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley called Ozymandias. And Ozymandias, by the way, is the Greek name for Ramses. So mm -hmm. he's referenced as Ramses and also Ozymandias in pop culture. Gotcha. And that poem includes a pretty famous line. So I thought we could go down to Poetry Corner. And here, Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lips and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Ooh. Ooh. The transience of power. Yes, and how time wears away all things. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, I guess it's interesting thinking about just that. I mean, you've got Shelley saying here, like, yeah, this guy was the absolute shit in his day. And now he's a worn down statue in the middle of a desert with nothing around it. It's just, you know, time conquers all. It's true. And the great rulers. Although, I mean, it's been 3,000 years or so, and yeah. we still know his name yeah. and a lot about what he did right. because of those buildings. Exactly. So, I don't know. I think he still did pretty good. <laughs> if someone's <laughs> talking about me 3,000 years from now, I think I'll feel pretty special. Right, right. True. <laughs> Take that, Shelly. Who's yeah. talking about Shelly? Take that, Bembridge Scholars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we will be talking about Shelly at some point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the Shelly episode the is Shelley a coming. The Shelly episode is a coming. Don't you worry. Ramses II is also unique in history in that he is the only ancient Egyptian pharaoh to have a passport issued to him by a modern government. Oh. So in 1974, Egyptologists in Egypt discovered that Ramses' mummy was deteriorating really fast. Oh. And they decided to send him to France to get studied but even dead guys need travel papers to leave Egypt. Huh. Or it's been speculated that Egypt was worried once the mummy was in France that it wouldn't be allowed to leave again. <laughs> oh, which, considering what? the amount of Egyptian stuff that isn't in Egypt, um, <laughs> probably a safe bet yeah, on their part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> France is like, no, yes, just uh, bring us the mummy. We will take very good care of it. Trust us. <laughs> it will have uh, a very welcome... A very temporary home in the Louvre, I'm sure. <laughs> very yes. temporary. He's just going to stop in for a few days. Uh, <laughs> oh, we lost him. We can't, it's a very big museum. Oh, we no. would return him to you, but we cannot even find it. I can't uh. remember where I put him. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they're pulling up posters of like, right, come yeah. see Ramsey's two mummy. <laughs> 
So the Egyptian government issued the mummy a passport, and it is notable not only for its photo of Ramsey's mummified face, <laughs> say cheese, but also his occupation, which is king, parentheses, deceased. <laughs> And when Ramses arrived in France in 1976, it was received at the airport with full military honors as befitted a king. Wow, there so, you go. So, I mean, pretty good. Ramsey was respect. still being treated yeah. with a lot of respect. Yeah. Even after many, many centuries after his death. Right. Wow. What a dude. What a, what a couple. Right? Yeah. So it's pretty cool. I mean, this love story between this guy who had so many loves to choose from. Right, right. But Nefertari... And also, like, I mean, he lived a long time after she died, but yeah. he still, that was his love of his life. He, he never no had another temples. temple like yeah. that for anybody. Yeah. So, yeah, she oh, was man. clearly really special. She must have been so cool. Or, you Dope know, lady. A, a, or a monster, oh, yeah, well. yeah, depending on who you ask. But, um, <laughs> true. But smart, regardless. Smart, yes. And I liked, you know, her playing her sister or playing uh -huh. at Senate or having her fun, you know. Right. I like to, to, again, she liked makeup and clothes and stuff. So uh -huh. I imagine she was just a fashion icon. And mm -hmm. anyway. But she liked a brain teaser. And she liked to, yeah, she'd probably yeah. play Wordle today. Oh, yeah, she probably would play Wordle. <laughs> and post like <laughs> all gray squares and then all green squares. Yeah. Immediately right. get everyone. Got it in two. Got it in two. <laughs> Got it in two. Wow. Another thing about archaeology that I, I, I always think of that uh, Calvin and Hobbes uh, uh -huh. episode where he finds a like a clothes hanger or something and he's pretending to be an archaeologist in the future that's uh -huh. like, was this a made of bone? Is it a religious object or some kind of <laughs> whatever? Uh <-huh. laughs> whatever. And, I'm like, man, that's so true. I feel like, what are they going to uncover of ours and think of oh, yeah. some ceremonial use or whatever? That and it's just like a piece of trash. They'll think we, you know, depicted our gods as small four-inch rectangles mm. that we constantly held in our hands and <laughs> stared at and worshipped. They'll find little Lego figurines like Bart Simpson <laughs> and be like, "This must have been a deity. Why else would you make an image of them?" Right? They'll be like. This this Calvin character must have been a demon because he's depicted all over vehicles and buildings <laughs> as peeing on things. He's always peeing on various logos. Some and kind flags. of mischievous demon of of mythology, <laughs> which is not far which off. Kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but that's that is our ancient Egypt episode. And hopefully you enjoyed it. Yes. Please let us know what you thought of this episode. If any episode, we love hearing from you. Yeah. Uh, more great messages like the one we got from Angie mm -hmm. are coming all the time. Thanks again for writing in, Angie. And, uh, you know, we love to get them. So send them in. You know our email address. It's romance at iheartmedia.com. Right. Or slide into the DMs on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at Oh Great. It's Eli. And the show is at Ridic Romance. And we can't wait to hear from you. Can't wait to bring you another exciting episode, which will be coming out this Friday. So stay tuned, and we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening. Love you. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.